He is greater. He is our high priest. He is our great high priest. Come before him with boldness and confidence. Come before him on your knees and watch God rock your world. Well, we're in a series here that we're launching today. And uh, the second week or the second series in this book of Hebrews, the first series was called Greater Jesus My God. Greater Jesus My God. And now we're leaping into this next piece and it's all about Jesus as greater, right? Jesus My High Priest. It's a huge deal. Greater Jesus My High Priest, that he plays that intermediary role between us and God. He is our high priest and our hope. You know, as I was coming in this morning, the rain was just coming down in torrents. I mean, like heavy duty coming down in the truck, loud as it was hitting. And I had actually received a text from someone and I was looking to call them back and just chat with them real quick. And uh, so I end up, you know, I've got one of those things on there, your steering wheel where you click the button and then you say who you want to talk to and then it'll connect into Siri and call them, right? And so I'm like, Siri, call so-and-so. And it just sits there. And the rain is just torrents coming down and it's just sitting there. And I say, Siri, call so-and-so. And it just sits there. I scream out loud, call so-and-so. And then it says, calling so-and-so, right? Like barely got through. Finally, I had to scream it out just so we're super clear. That is not our God. In the middle of the storms of life, it is not that you have to scream with all you've got or God can't hear you. It is not that, everybody say not that. It is that we have a God who is right here with us. He cares about all we're going through and we have hope. Greater, Jesus, my high priest. Jesus, my priest. This is a huge deal that we have privilege there. He is great. Everybody just say he is greater. Man, he is greater. And so as we launch into this second series here, super fired up about it, let's just go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Hebrews 4, verse 14. As you're turning there, we'll get going with point number one. Draw near to God through Jesus, our unmatchable high priest. Draw near to God through Jesus, our unmatchable high priest priest. We get to draw near. In fact, we're going to talk more about that phrase in just a little bit here, right? Through Jesus Christ as our high priest. As we get going, don't forget the context here. We just finished it up at the end of the last sermon series with last week, and it ends with a pretty firm challenge. The challenge is like, make sure you're getting your things right with your God. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And then it even says, hear me, We give account to God. Know that we will stand before him, so live your life accordingly. Dude, that is a heavy, thunderous challenge. We give account to God, so cautious and be real about how you live with your king. Now, he doesn't just leave it with this sort of almost a a sound of a threat. He turns it right now into what we're launching into this week and all the hope and the promise of, yes, we stand accountable before God, but we are not alone in it. We have Jesus Christ, our high priest with us, right? So that's the context. Here we go. He says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Since then we have a great 
high priest. Notice it's not since we have a high priest. It's since we have a great high priest, Jesus Christ. He is the greatest of all. There is none greater as a high priest. Now, you might be like, I'm not even sure what a high priest is. And just so we're really clear on it, like this is something that when he said this, when the author said this, the, the Jewish people would have smiled right away. They'd be like, oh yeah, right, totally. Know what you're talking about. Like this was part of their culture. Remember, the author is writing to the Hebrews, right? That means Jewish people who are uh, wrestling in their faith with Christ, believers in Jesus, but Jewish. That's who he's writing to. And so he's like, let's connect this together. Jesus is the great high priest. Everybody say great. Yeah, don't miss it. There's only one great high priest. There are high priests, but Jesus is the great high priest. There is none other like him. The high priest, they had a lot of responsibilities, like all of the other priests reported to them. In fact, they would work throughout the ministry year, taking care of the different details and making sure the priests were assigned out to the right spots. But the high priest also had a big responsibility. The high priest was responsible for making sure every year in the fall, uh, not too far back, kind of, it usually lands in September, but it's the start of their kind of social calendar year, their secular calendar year, starting there in the fall, and it goes 10 days straight, and then it's Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. This 10 days straight is them getting the year started off right, where they begin to celebrate, and they say, thank you, God, for all that you are. Thank you for how you've cared for me. So apologize for my sin. It needs to go. Lord, may you truly cleanse me. This sin needs to be done. That's what goes on. Those first 10 days are like really penitent days as they lay themselves down. And then on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the high priest steps up and ends up sacrificing on behalf of their sins. The sins of the nation get covered by the high priest laying out sacrifice for them. 10 days of laying it all out, he covers it up as he does that. Now, the other thing is he's also the high priest, he's human being, so the first thing he does is he gets his own sin covered. He sacrifices for his own sin. After he gets that done, then he steps in to sacrifice for all the sins of the nation of Israel. That's the role of the high priest. The author starts out here and says, just so you know, Jesus is the great high priest. There's a mediator between God and man, and that's the high priest from Jewish culture way back. Jesus Christ is now the mediator for all humanity. He stands between us and God, and he sacrifices for our sin. He is the great high priest. It says, who has passed through the heavens who has passed through the heavens. God the Son, Jesus Christ, came down through the heavens. In the Jewish culture, they would talk about there being plural heavens, at least three, three different heavens. But they would talk about this spiritual heaven. There would also be another intermediary heaven. And then the physical earthly heavens that we would talk about. So they would pass through these three heavens. Jesus Christ, as he came down, God become man, he crossed through those barriers, those heavens. Why even say that? 
Well, because part of the high priest's role as he became intermediary, as he sacrificed, was to actually cross through a barrier of this big rope uh, cloth element, and he would push it back and step behind the curtain, and there be the referenced intermediary for the people. He had to cross through a barrier to represent. And so Jesus Christ is crossing through a barrier to represent. He passed through the heavens. There's so much type and symbol. As God builds the Old Testament, he's like, hang on, because Jesus Christ is coming. All of Old Testament points forward to Jesus as the substance. And he's like, just so you know, the high priest you got used to seeing in the law, yeah, just so you know, that's really Jesus as the great high priest and the ultimate fulfillment. That was a shadow. Jesus is the substance. He is greater. It says, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the Son of God. Who is the great high priest? Jesus, the Son of God. Everybody just say that with me. Jesus, the Son of God. Don't miss that. He alone is the great high priest. He is Jesus, the Son of God. It says, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession. Now, it starts out with let us. This is sort of this call to all of us to do this, this imperative in the plural form. We all need to do this. Let us, and then it says hold fast, right? And we've talked about this phrase hold fast before. We've used one illustrate over and over for it. Hopefully over the course of time, it will kind of stick with you. So we're going to use it again. So hold fast. What does it mean? So let's just do this. Do me a favor. Just hold up your hand a little bit like in a fist. Just go ahead and hold it up. You don't have to hold it high, but hold it up. Now, hold down tight, like squeeze tight. Go ahead and squeeze. Okay, now squeeze tighter yet. Like your arm needs to literally be shaking. You're squeezing so tight. Keep squeezing tight. Now release and let go. Can you feel your fingertips? Can you feel your fingertips after squeezing? That was holding fast. You grab on and you hold with all you've got. Don't let go. Let us hold fast our confession. Now, this word confession, we hear that word. It, we might think of it as somebody like, you know, they got busted. They're at the police station and they're admitting what they did wrong. Confession. Like, that's not what he's talking about. In fact, the original language word here has two words put together. It is actually saying the same words. That's what's put together. Confession, the same words. So you are saying what Jesus is saying. You are agreeing with him and you are saying the same words as Christ. He is the son of God. He is my hope. He is my sacrifice. He is my high priest. I put my hope in Jesus. We are saying the same words that Jesus echoes about himself. May God get all the glory. And uh, it's a huge deal that we grasp this confession statement is an agreement with God. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. For we do not have a high priest that is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Notice the double negative. We do not have somebody who cannot. It's a double negative. So he's really saying, Jesus is a high priest who can sympathize with your weaknesses, with your hurts, with your heartaches, with your struggles. Jesus knows struggle. He clothed himself with flesh 
And Jesus has struggled from that. He has felt hunger. He has felt weakness and tiredness. He has felt his body slowly deteriorating because of exhaustion. He has experienced betrayal and push from the outside. He knows what those outside pressures and struggles are that knock down our physical body. Man, if you are going through a world of heartache right now, if weakness is pressing in, if you are struggling in the realm of hungers or, or frustrations or hurts or tirednesses or body collapsing somehow, trust me, know this. Jesus knows that pressure in on. And he understands with you. Your God loves you. And you are not alone in it. He has clothed himself with the same thing and the same weakness that we would tend to experience. And he sympathizes then with our weaknesses, with our frailties. Jesus comes alongside and cares for the fact that we are struggling in this broken world. And he knows of the pain you struggle. It says, he is but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. In every respect has been tempted as we are. And we have to be a little careful with that word tempted. If you're not careful, you can mix it up with some other words we tend to think of. The word tempt will often kind of equate to that thing that's going on inside me. I have this big welling up of the flesh and I want what's absolutely wrong and I want to go after it and I hunger for it. And we would say we're being tempted and it's, but it's this inside collapse towards sin. Like that's not what he's talking about. He's saying that there are all these pressures from the outside, all of these press downs of the physical, of hungers and tired and, and pain and heartache, of people being brutal, of rebellion and, and standing against absolute betrayal, physical abuse, him being taken apart in so many ways. He has experienced all of that, but it is not the flesh raging inside and collapsing in sin. It's not that. Uh, everybody say, not that. You might be like, well, how do you know that? Because I read the next three words. Yet without sin. Yet without sin. He did not have a welling up of the flesh that was collapsing. What was happening is he was being challenged with pressures that aren't wrong. Like, for example, get something to eat. But it wasn't the right time to eat. He was in a fast. And so he was going through a hunger time but it was in honoring to God. So it was a timing moment. It wouldn't have been wrong to go after it, but in the moment, based on what he was going after, it wasn't right. It's not wrong to eat food when you're hungry. And all of God's people said, right? It's super important that we understand all the pressures that were on Jesus were physical in various ways, shapes, and forms and pressing in, but never was it the faultiness of flesh within falling apart. Not that. Yet, without sin, Jesus Christ, as he wrestled with the press down on his soul and his body as the King of Kings for you and me. He has this understanding in the midst. It says, let us then, and uh, because we have the victory, because we have this sympathy from him, let us then with confidence, with boldness, May we boldly step before Jesus Christ. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Let us with 
confidence, like sure that what he said is true. Bold because he said I have the right to enter, so I am. Confidently, boldly trusting in him. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Draw near. Now, just so we're clear that in the original language, the word draw is not in there. Draw isn't a part of it. In fact, when we say the words, we say like draw near, and maybe we even emphasize that part, like draw as a part of it. But in fact, the word in the original language is the word near. Near yourself to him. And we put the word draw in just to be able to understand it a little better. But the reality is near yourself to him. It's about proximity. It's about closeness. It's about the reality of the almighty nature of God stunning you with who he is. You are so close to him. Near yourself to the almighty God. Be able to see his glory and his power and his stunning nature at work in your life as you near yourself in every facet. It says, draw near to the throne of grace. What are we drawing near to? Who are we drawing near to? We're drawing near to the King, Jesus Christ, and his throne. Jesus is sitting on the throne, the throne of grace, the throne of mercy. We are drawing near to the very throne of the King of the universe with confidence. We are nearing ourselves to him as we enter in boldly. Now, one thing we may miss in all of this is the reality of people entering into the throne room of a king on their own volition was unheard of. Back in this time, you did not approach the king. The king invited you. And then when you came in, you made sure you kept your attitude cool. You do not bring the king down. Your job in stepping in is to make sure you're very upbeat and supportive. As you stand around him, you keep this king lifted up. And then when the king dismisses you, you're gone. But this king is inviting us into his throne room and inviting us to come with our weaknesses and inviting us to have a wrestle and a struggle as we approach his throne of grace. Almighty grace, as he pours on and cares for in the middle of your heartaches, in the middle of your hurts, may we draw near to the throne of the king. You know, I really wrestled with this word draw, draw near, what it all meant. And I, I told you already, the original language really says near yourself is probably the best understanding. And so I just started thinking, what is the right way to near myself? To God. And as I did a bunch of studying on it and reading what other people thought, I, I will say the average answer back, the typical answer back would be something, you know, about making sure you're praying to God, making sure you're reading, spending time in the Word. And those are great, right, to make sure you're doing those things. But honestly, I can open up God's Word and I can be reading the words and the whole time I'm reading it go, I don't know, God, I'm not sure. And I'm not actually nearing myself to Him, but I'm reading His Word. Or I could be praying and be like, here's where I'm at, God, now change it. And I'm actually giving ultimatums. I'm not nearing myself to the king. I am trying to demand control from afar. So let's not talk about the activities we could go after. Let's talk about words of the heart that are going on when we're actually nearing ourselves to the king. All right? So here we go. 
Five phrases in your heart when you're nearing yourself to God. Number one, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Like just outright gratitude. You are unbelievable, God, for what you're doing. Thank you. You start with thank you, you are nearing yourself up close. You are seeing him in charge and appreciating what he's doing rather than demanding it be something your way. Thank you, Lord. I see you at work. And next, your will, not mine. This is a crushingly important phrase of the heart if we're going to be nearing ourselves. Your will, not mine. Lord God, your will. My God can. My God will. And even if my God doesn't, I will worship him. That is drawing near in the middle of the weaknesses, in the middle of the heartache, in the middle of the pain pouring down on your life. Your will, God, not mine. It's nearing yourself to him and letting him lead. Here's the third one. Lord, please help me. Lord, please help me as you bring a struggle or a problem to bear. And you're like, Lord, I, I'm laying this out before you. And Lord, I long for your assistance. And Lord, please help me in this. Super important, by the way, that you don't now quickly forget the prior one. Your will, Lord. Like, Lord God, help me my way. Like, that is not it. Lord, please help me. You're in charge. I'm so hurting here. My kids are so hurting here. My family is struggling. This job is needing assist or whatever it is. Lord, please help me. Your will be done. Thank you. Your will help me. The fourth one, Lord, please teach me. Teach me. Lord, I don't get it. I'm misunderstanding something. Can you please teach me on this? Lord, could you show me what I need to know? Help me to understand what I need to grasp. Teach me, Lord. What do I need to hear? And then the fifth one, change me. Yeah, God, I definitely need to lay this over to you. I am wrong. And Lord, just please fix me. Please change me. Please heal me. You're in charge. Like, Lord, this is wrong and it needs to go. Your glory, your honor, change me, Lord. Man, I'm telling you, this will rock your world. Drawing near the nearness you experience with God as you say, thank you, God. Lord, it's all about you, your will. Help me, Lord. Teach me, Lord. Change me, Lord. And then add one piece to it. Ready? You just put yourself down on your knees. And as you come to your God with what you're wrestling with, you put yourself even lower yet. And as you get yourself down on the ground, humble before your God, you simply say, thank you, Lord. You're moving and Lord, help me as I'm wrestling with this, your will, your will, God. Man, as you are on the ground, maybe even all the way prostrate down, I'm telling you, your position before your God will change your life. Put yourself physically in a different spot. Walking around praying is great, but you often can get distracted. Find a way to lock it down. Find a way to put yourself down and say, Lord, I am right now drawing near, close to you. I want your heart to be my heart. 
and I'm laying this before you. I'm telling you, when you are wrestling and struggling with something, and you go full prostrate on the ground as you walk these phrases through, praying them to your king, it'll rock your world. It'll change everything in your experience of the king. Nearness will be so experientially powerful in that moment. Give your life to your God. Humble yourself before your king. It says that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Because this king doesn't ask for you to enter the throne room and make him feel better. As you enter in, he is pouring on and raising you up and healing you along the way. And he's giving grace and mercy in your journey. Your God loves you. Your God loves you with all he's got. Your God is hurting for you and hurting with you and he longs for you to know him in a deep, rich way. Are you in? Are you ready to be near to your almighty God? Nearness, man, it's a, it's a huge deal. You know, as I was wrestling with an illustrate for this this week, uh, my wife and I went for a walk yesterday, still looking for the illustrate yesterday. And uh, we went for a walk. We have different people on staff who are doing some health challenge things, some physical challenges. And her challenge was to walk a long ways with heavy weights on, like 10, 10 pounds or whatever extra on, and doing the rucking thing. And so she was walking with those weights. I did not have weights on. I was just walking with her, you know what I mean? And so we went for a walk and just enjoyed time. And as we were walking and chatting together, all of a sudden I'm trying to think through some things in this 2021 red Corvette comes down the road, stops at the intersection right by us. And as it turns, he puts it into neutral and he hits the accelerator. And you can just hear this thing rumble up, just a rum, bum, bum, bum. And as it comes back down, he puts it back in gear and then hammers it and takes off down the road. I'm telling you, I just stood there in awe. I was like, that car is beautiful, man. And it is this red Corvette, such a cool look to it. I turned to John, I'm like, you know, and I, I'm not sure, I got a little more of a look like, sure, honey, it's, it's a beautiful car. And I'm like, no, I'm telling you, it's stunning. And as we started talking, it threw me back to high school days and college days. Like I had friends that loved to go to uh, the drag races every year. So the NHRA, the National Hot Rod Association. So we would go out there. I wasn't like the hugest fan of it, but I went with them on those and was just stunned by the experience as you get out there. Man, I'm telling you, you get there and you see these cars as they like get ready to line up and they hammer the accelerator and you see the tires start going and the wheels literally start expanding up because of the speed and the heat as this thing just starts expanding up, smoke starts pouring off of the tires. You start seeing flames coming out of the exhaust. It was amazing to see that. And, and as they end up taking off, as the lights go all greens and it rips down the trackway, it's amazing to watch how fast they are. Now, you can watch that on TV. You can watch that, seeing it where you're like, look at the tires and they're actually, and it is amazing as you see it well up and you see some of the power of it and you see the speed of it. But man, I'm telling you, when you enter that area and you stand 50 yards away and they hammer that accelerator and you see these tires just well up and the smoke pours off and wafts past you in a fog. You can barely see. You can smell burning rubber. They back them up. The thing hits greens and it goes, and it's gone. 
and you feel the thunder just rip in your chest. If you're not wearing earphones, you feel the ringing in your ears for minutes after that run. It is amazing the experiential difference of being near. Get close, man. And are you distanced from your God? Are you observing from a distance or are you near? Is his greatness, is his power and glory and authority and tenderness and graciousness, is his it will rock this world character, something you are tasting and seeing that the Lord is good? Or are you factually looking from afar? May we near ourselves to the Almighty King. And all of God's people said, So how are you doing at being close to your God along the way? Point number two, see your own sin honestly and humbly. Allow it to shape how you approach God and man. Point number two, see your own sin honestly and humbly. Allow it to shape how you approach God and man. It says, for every high priest chosen among men is appointed to act on behalf of God in relation to God. Now, as we get going through these four verses here, it's really important that we grasp. Right now, he is talking about the human high priest, the general high priest that would have been true in the Old Testament, any of the high priests, right? So he's talking about mankind and the role of the high priest. Now, they're going to connect to Jesus Christ, him as great high priest who has clothed himself with humanity. But as we walk through this, he's making a point about who these human high priests are and what they went through. It says, for every high priest chosen among men. So first of all, in order to be a high priest, you had to be human, chosen among men. And Jesus Christ steps into this world fully God, but clothed himself fully human and then chosen amongst humanity to be the great high priest. It says, the high priest is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. The high priest is going to act on behalf of man, like a mediator, a standing between, a sacrificing for the sins of, taking their sin real and bringing it before God. They will act on behalf of men in relation to God. And that is Jesus Christ for us as he acts on our behalf, as he went to the cross as he died on the cross and rose again, as him literally, as he approaches the throne room greatness of God Almighty, him saying, this is for my people. And as the great high priest, he says, I offer up me. It is my blood. It is my flesh. And it is for their weaknesses. It is for their sin. I come on their behalf. Jesus Christ for us our great high priest. It says to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin, to come regularly for this sacrifice. Remember, as we were just talking about, the high priest would actually come on the day of atonement, and that would be to cover the sins of all the nation. And first they would have to cover their own sin, and then they would come and cover the sins of all of the people, and they would bring this sacrifice Jesus so stepping in and bringing the sacrifice. And here's the thing. Jesus isn't first sacrificing for himself because he was yet without sin. 
the high priest was trying to get to a point where it was made clear the only one who can mediate is the one clean before God. That's Jesus Christ alone. Great high priest. Never sinned, never needed to clean himself. The human beings, oh, they needed to cleanse their sin. And it says to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. It says he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. The high priest can be gentle with other sin. The ignorant, meaning they, they just don't know. They're unknowing. Literally in the original language, not knowing is the word there. The unknowing and the wayward, the wandering off on their own. These people who were struggling with their own heartaches and hurts, but the high priests were human. They were like, yeah, I've gone through the press downs of this world and I understand some of what you're struggling with. And they were tender and caring in it. And then it says, since he himself is beset with weakness, that word beset means surrounded by, like pressed down on, in trouble with. That's a good way to understand just all this weakness is pressing on and all that's going on. The human high priest struggling even from stuff within and frailties, but definitely all the pressures on and the struggles with all that would go on physically and emotionally and spiritually, all the body aches and all the heart aches and all the press ins and yeah, fully surrounded and fully aware. It says because of this, he is obligated. Like it is essential. It is a must. He is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins. Like in this case, there was such weakness going on with the high priest. He had to sacrifice for himself to get to a point of cleanness. Jesus Christ already at the clean spot, not needing to sacrifice for self because there was no sin inside. But this one, the high priest, the humans faltering, needing to sacrifice for their own sin first. I mean, you can picture it a lot like, you know, if you're going... Moms, imagine you're going to wash your baby and somehow you've been outside, you've gotten a lot of mud on, maybe working in the garden, whatever, and you've got stuff all over you. Like the last thing you do is start washing the baby while you've got mud all over you, right? The first thing you do is you wash the mud off, you get clean, and then you take your little one and you start washing off of them in order to get it clean, in order to make sure that it's actually effective. He's like, just so we're clear, that's exactly what was going on with the human high priests. And so Jesus, the great high priest, comes in, no sin, and ready to represent, but beset and pressed on all sides like us as well. It says, just as he does for those of the people, sacrificing sin, uh, sacrificing for sin, for those of the people and for uh, his own is the role of the high priest. It says, and no one takes this honor for himself. This is super important. And no one self-elects, I'm high priest. Like it doesn't happen. And so really important that we grasp. And Jesus Christ was appointed by God the Father. God the Father appointed God the Son to be the great high priest. He is appointed by God the Father. He's appointing God the Son to be the great high priest. And he's like, just so we're clear, every high priest is appointed. It's not somehow self-determined. Instead, it is somehow determined from above with God as a part. And then he says, no one takes this for himself. It is a privilege. It's an honor, right? But only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Aaron being the first of the high priests to be called out just as Aaron was. 
He was called to be a high priest. Jesus now sent in to be the great high priest. Man, our sin covered. How? Because Jesus loves you and he represents you and he stands on your behalf, clean before God the Father, and he offers up sacrifice. And the Lamb of God's sacrifice that he offered is himself, himself for you. As Jesus now stands in the gap and says, I love you and this is for you. Now come and approach the throne of grace and mercy where I will pour on for you. And this is a huge privilege for us to have that we know Jesus Christ, that he is greater and that ultimately he is the high priest, greater Jesus, my high priest, here in the gap for me, may we come close and near to him. And all of God's people said, amen, man, near yourself to your king and to his throne and watch God rock your world. Let's pray. 